says three times. He says, do not worry. Do not worry. And, and I guess we will all be sitting here, sitting here going, the problem is, I do. I do. At the more severe end of the spectrum, uh, I was looking at a few kind of statistics. Last year, doctors diagnosed over 10, nearly 10 million cases of anxiety or worry. Statistics show that women are almost twice as likely to be diagnosed with anxiety disorders as men. Higher levels of worry are found amongst individuals who have experienced some kind of relationship trauma, divorce, separation. Also, the unemployed are more affected than those who have paid work. But let's recognise, they're the most severe cases of worry or anxiety. That's where statistics are kind of are clear, but... We all know, I guess, what is true, then, that is that worry is the universal disease of today, as Timothy Lane puts it. We see it in the big things of life, don't we? I guess uh, through the pressures of work and relationships, of finances or lack of finances. But it can manifest itself, worry can manifest itself even in the small things of life, can't it? Let's think of, for one example, just communication. Why do we stammer mid-sentence, if that is us? Some of us might go the other way. We might find ourselves just repeating ourselves endlessly, just to fill the silence. Some of us just blag. We've got the gift of the gab. We just keep going, don't we? Until someone says, stop, please. And others of us may just keep quiet. See, whatever our temperament, whether we're the extrovert or the introvert or somewhere in the middle, I guess all of us worry, don't we? And that will manifest itself in different ways with regard to communication, but in every area of life, that is true. I guess few of us will deny the fact that we worry. We worry. We worry about relationships, don't we? Uh, You know, dating or marriage or lack of dating and lack of marriage. We worry. And if we have children, I guess we might worry about them as well. You know, are, are we doing our best for them? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not providing as much as the next door neighbour. And I, I worry about that. I'm just not sure. What about their future as well? I worry about that. And all of these worries can so easily lead us to worrying about the worry that we worry about. Yeah? Very quickly, we become the object of our own worry. And that can lead us down a very slippery slope. Worry is a terrible and a debilitating path that can lead us into very dark places. Now, of course, we think we're very clever, and I guess many of us, many of you, are. We love to cover it up. And whether that's through prescription drugs or just through lines of drugs or anything else, counselling, all sorts of things that we might turn to, we're very good at covering things up. We're the masters of trying to ignore or brush under the carpet this torture. And that is what Kierkegaard, one of the Danish philosophers, once described worry as. He said it was a torture. But Jesus says into that, so that understanding that we have, he says, do not worry. Three times. And that's somewhat removed from a, a culture. Do you remember the Bob Marley classic? Been in a cartoon recently, don't worry about a thing. Yeah, do you know that one? Every little thing's gonna be alright. Really? 
Oh, come on, Bob. You may be living in Jamaica, a little bit high most of the time, but you know, really? <laughs> Let me give you a scenario. Scenario. Imagine your child gets kidnapped while on holiday and you're not to worry. Is that the case? Can you imagine Bob singing in your ear? Don't worry about it. Really? Imagine you're sat on the 93rd floor of the World Trade Center. It's September the 11th, 2001. You see the American Airlines Flight 11 approaching at about 400 miles an hour, an hour, Boeing 737. What do you sing? Don't worry. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Utter nonsense. And Jesus is not encouraging that kind of unthinking, carefree, probably drug-induced existence. You see, in matters of, of justice and of care and of love, and in matters of the gospel and of the church, there is good concern. There is good, appropriate worry that we should feel and acknowledge in our hearts and lives. And if you're a Christian and you're not concerned and worried for your brothers and sisters who right now in Syria are facing guns and all sorts of terrible things, then there is something a little bit wrong with you. We should have appropriate concern, appropriate worries about the church, about our unbelieving friends, about the sin in our own hearts and lives. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, for example, verse 28. He says, besides everything else, and there was a lot of everything else in Paul's life. I face daily the pressure of my concern, same word worry, for all the churches. See, there's good concern, there's good worry. We should be concerned, for example, that we work hard. That as you go to work tomorrow, that you do a really good job. You be a good father, a mother, a good friend, a good spouse. Even now, as we sit here today, there is good concern, good worry that you should have, and inappropriate concern, inappropriate worry that you should have. The good concern is that we all ought to be listening to God's word and applying it to our hearts and lives. That's a good concern, a good worry that we should have as we sit here today. An inappropriate concern, an inappropriate worry would be that we're looking around and looking up here and saying, well, I'm making more copious notes than they are. Look at me, my reputation. So when Jesus says, do not worry, his focus, as it has been for the previous sections in the Sermon on the Mount, his focus is, do not worry. What's his concern? What is coming into the crosshairs of Jesus' teaching? It's those earthly treasures of last week. It's those material things. That's what he's saying, do not worry about. Do you remember last week, Jesus has used those three little pictures, metaphors, to present us kind of two options. He's helping us to see how we view the earthly things, the material things that we have. He says, lay up treasure in, in heaven, not earth. He spoke about the clear and the generous eye rather than the evil eye. Uh, and he said, at the end, pointing us, you've got to make a choice. There's two masters that you've got options with here. Either God's going to be a master or money. Which way is it going to be? In all three, Jesus, he's, it's, a, it's a teaching of love. He's trying to liberate us from straining for things in this world. Things that just won't last. Things that ultimately just are never going to satisfy you. Jesus' warning was from greed and materialism. But have you ever thought, what is on the other side of the coin of materialism and greed? What's, what's on the flip side of it? 
What goes, what goes hand in hand with greed and materialism? What is its you know, kind of closest sibling? It's worry. It's worry. Do you see how they relate and why Jesus teaches about them together? You see, Jesus is showing that our choice of master, if it's, if it's God or money, will radically affect our concern, our worry about them both. Let me show you how. If you reject money, material possessions, earthly treasures as your master, if you reject that, you will not be anxious, worried about what it will bring. Why? Because your concerns, your worry will be elsewhere. You'll seek other things, as we'll see later on in this passage. You'll be focused on them, not the material possessions. So Jesus speaks to his disciples and all of us who would humbly listen, saying, do not worry. I guess you might be sitting here, as I've been sitting in my study this week, just going, this is fairly extraordinary, isn't it? And you may be thinking, how on earth is this possible? You know, Jesus, do you really understand the kind of the life that we lead, the, the place that we live, the pressures that we're under? Let's see, let's dive in. Verse 25, let's remind ourselves of that. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. So just, you know, a little assessment. If you worry, and I guess many of us will, what do you worry about? Jesus highlights and Spurgeon, the great old preacher, local preacher from a couple of hundred years ago, dead now, obviously. But he, he always called these the trinity of cares. What you eat, drink, and wear. See, it's extraordinary that, isn't it? 200 years ago, have things really changed that much? Jesus, you know, all these years ago, things haven't changed much, have they? Some of you will get this sent through the door. Has anyone got this magazine? Or something like it, depending on which side you are. If you're a Wimbledon person or a, you know, a, a, a Wandsworthy person or a, I don't know, wherever you are. Yeah. These magazines have come through my door for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years since I've been in the, the kind of the Wimbledon, Merton, Wandsworthy area. Wimbledon Time and Leisure. It is a great, great read. Now, the extraordinary thing about this magazine is that every single page, this is actually a 25-page special on mind and body. I'm not going to read the subtitle, but there we go. Um, every single page. I could not find anything in that whole glossy magazine that wasn't about you and your body. How you clothe it, how you feed it, how you exercise it, how you, what you drink, what you eat, where you eat, where you are seen to be eating. How you entice, how you excite. There is not one article in that whole magazine that helps you beyond your animalistic urges that you instinctively feel. But obviously, you know, it's doing well. It's been, it's been around for so long, that magazine. It's not going out of print. We love it. We want it. Our culture certainly does. And the magazines are not alone. We get fed this from all sorts of angles, don't we? Therefore, for many, life is reduced to just satisfaction of those base urges. Now, again, I said this a lot last week. I'll say it very briefly again. Jesus is not saying that beautiful possessions are wrong. 
We're not to despise all material things. Rather, we ought to enjoy and appreciate them and give God the glory for providing them. You know, if you open a bottle of, of wine and that's the thing that you really enjoy, then, then don't just sit there and go, oh, no, I'm eating, I'm drinking a beautiful bottle of wine. Enjoy that wine and give thanks to God for it. You know, and if you're skiing down a mountain, I know Rob and Tim are out uh, in the mountains right now, and, you know, they should be enjoying that. Enjoying the provision of rest and seeing the beauty of God's creation and giving thanks to God that he speaks even through that creation, as we know from Psalm 19. But if material things, particularly our bodies here in verse 25, are our major concern, the dominating concern of our lives, then we ought to expect anxiety. We ought to expect worry. Now Jesus, you see, he's nailing the culture then. He's nailing the culture now, isn't he? Our cares and concerns are the same. And Jesus uses, interestingly, uh, for any of you who've been in kind of debating societies previously, he uses what is called an a fortiori argument. Now, don't worry about what that is. It simply is, he shows you something and and then he goes, how much more? He says something simple and he says, how much more can you get? Or how much more is this? That's an a fortiori argument. Let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at the argument. Uh, So he says, do not worry about your life. Look at the end of verse 25. Life uh, is not life more than food. The body more than clothes. See, what Jesus is saying here is that if God takes care of your life and your body, that he, he takes care of the greater thing, the bigger, more important thing, surely he's going to take care of the lesser The clothes to cover our bodies, the food and the drink to sustain our lives. See, God has created, he now sustains us. uh, And if we have trusted in Jesus' life, death and resurrection, he will sustain us then for eternity. In his goodness and his love. And if you're a Christian here, essentially Jesus is saying, Jesus has got you. You're covered, you're sorted, you're safe. Your life is is in his hands for eternity. And so is your body. Your life and your body are sorted. One day he will raise you to new life. Death will not hold the Christian, as Jesus has shown already, in his resurrection. And if you're part of God's kingdom, he's saying your life, your body, covered, sorted, safe. God, you see, has taken care of these greater things. And Jesus is now then saying, well, surely... Surely he's going to be okay with the lesser? That's the argument. The food and the clothes. He said, don't, don't, you, don't, you don't need to worry. You don't need to obsess about those things. And Jesus uses the same kind of argument in verses 26 and 27. Now turns to the birds in the air. Let's have a look at that. Let me read verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. Jesus' point is simple here. Do not worry. Look at the birds. Jesus is kind of saying, you know, have you ever seen a bird with anxiety issues? Really? Birds don't have savings accounts, do they? The point Jesus is saying, they don't sow, reap, store away in barns. Birds are simple creatures, aren't they? They feed on that day for that day. But the point that Jesus is making is very simple. God takes care. God takes care of them, doesn't he? Now, let's be clear. 
because we're thinking about birds at the moment, okay? Jesus is not teaching us to sit back and do nothing. God will take care of it. No, some Christians even call that living by faith, but that often is kind of just church speak for legitimized laziness. Jesus' point here is that birds instinctively take care of themselves. They do everything, don't they? They work hard to feed themselves and their families. They aren't lazy. But Jesus' point is that God takes care of them. He takes care of them. But does that mean that Jesus and Bob Marley are kind of coming into the same wavelength here? You know, don't worry about a thing, everything's going to be all right. No, because birds get eaten. Birds get crushed on a road by a bus. They have disease and horrible... I don't like birds, but you know, there we go. No, what, Jesus is not teaching an absolute principle here. He's teaching a general principle. Uh, if God provides for the lesser creatures of his creation, the birds here providing food for them, then how much more is he going to provide for the pinnacle of his creation? You and me. The reformer Martin Luther wrote this on this little passage. He says... God is making the birds our schoolmasters. The helpless sparrow can be the preacher of the wisest men. You may have heard this lovely little poem, a little bit of doggerel, you might say. When you were young, I heard this when I was young. I was reminded of it this week. He said, it says this, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Well, it's not exactly true. It's biblically unsound uh, because we have a heavenly father who cares very deeply for us. But the point is, God cares for the birds. And therefore, how much more does he care for you? Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh, if you, do, if you do decide to worry, Jesus then turns brilliantly. Verse 27, uh, kind of just poses a question to us, doesn't he? If you consider worrying uh, today, tomorrow, well, think about, is it a wise thing to do? Verse 27, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? What does worry achieve? What is the product of your worry? It will not add anything, not even an hour, Jesus says, to your life. In fact... Worry, we know, shortens lives quite drastically. But worry will also lessen the quality of your life as well, as you plunder your heart and mind into things that will never fill what they promise. Now, Jesus, I, I hope you realize it. Jesus is kind of like if he was a machine gun. It's like a machine gun of reasons not to worry, and they keep coming, so let's keep going through them. Now, turning to my favorite illustration the flowers of the field. There was not a laugh there, but that's just uh, surprising because flowers are just not my thing whatsoever. But there we go. I know more about clothes and it's kind of about both. So let's go to verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if you don't know about Solomon's glory... Turn, uh, just to make a note of it, 1, 1 Kings chapter 10. It's basically a list of all of Solomon's kind of earthly riches and glory as king, the great king. And it is amazing. 
Uh, all the gold that he had every year coming into the royal treasury, amazing. His palace, amazing. His throne, wow. It just goes on and on and on. The Queen of Sheba comes along and she's like, whoa, look at this, it's amazing. All the glory of Solomon, the great king. Now look at the flowers of the field, Jesus' point is. Now we're not talking Chelsea flower show, the kind of manicured stuff that we see there. Think of the flowers of the meadow when you're walking up a mountain. You see a beautiful little flower lining the pathway. Even a flower of a weed. Amazing. I remember a child regularly, uh, as a child regularly, you know, you have the uh, Sunday lunch, guests come over, and then you have to go to that obligatory walk in the afternoon. Do you remember that? My parents used to kind of trudge us out. We go to the local woods, called Bluebell Woods, for a very good reason. Times of the year, you could take just a few steps into this woodland. And then you were just overwhelmed by this blue carpet of flowers, bluebells. And it was spectacular. Because flowers, just even one, if you were to pick it and look at it, you do it on the way home, find a weed with a flower on it and just look at the flower. It's amazing. Spectacular. God and his creation in that intricate detail and beauty. Should blow your mind, that one flower. They're even more splendid than all of Solomon's material wealth and earthly splendor. And the point is, who put them there? Jesus is clear. Look at verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. That is, he's saying, if God cares so much about things that will not last and, and creates them with such beauty, the flower of the field. Look what it says. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? If you are a Christian here today, what are you worrying about? What are your concerns? Jesus is saying, God has got you. You're safe. He's got your back. All your needs. Jesus is saying, if you can't trust God and let him be your master, if money and stuff that won't last, is your master. Well, that will be your greatest concern and your greatest worry. And Jesus' challenge, if that is your way of thinking, is fairly robust, isn't it? He's saying, you have little faith. You're just not trusting God in these small things. Is that you? Is that you? I wonder, have you put more trust in the clothes you wear and the job you have and the money you spend or long to spend, is that your treasure? Is that what you trust in for your security and meaning? Well, if that is you, you will worry. You will worry. Because you're trusting things that just will not last. The flowers of the field and the birds of the air rest in the provision that God will provide. And so what about you? Jesus then turns uh, to make this comparison as we close uh, well, near the end now. Jesus, Jesus says, do not worry like everyone else. Look at verse 31 and verse 32. He turns back to that kind of the trinity of cares. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He's shown us that we're not to worry about them. They're of secondary importance, if you like. Our concern, our worry should be primarily with what matters most. The God who has saved us through faith in his son's life death and resurrection. And following that, we must trust his provision 
for our material needs. Not our material wants, but our material needs. We're not to be consumed with the worry about what we have and what we do not have around us. But if we worry like everyone else, the point Jesus is making here, particularly in verse 32, look at that. He's saying you you, you won't be distinctive. You'll have no witness at all. You'll just be like the pagans that run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. He's saying you can be distinctive here. I'm not a big fan of uh, Tyson Fury. Have you seen the, you know, the new world champion heavyweight boxer? Seems slightly obnoxious at times, doesn't he? But there we go. Um, he was interviewed this week and, uh, in The Telegraph. It's very interesting, actually. He was recently offered to fight um, in closed doors in a super yacht in Dubai. And it was the, there was going to be 120 guests on this super yacht paying $1 million each. So the prize fund is 120 million. No a fight uh, with no TV cameras, no press, just 12 rounds on a boat, of which he will walk away with at least 40 million, more if he won. And what was lovely about his response and what the Telegraph reporter was sort of slightly shocked and taken back by was that he said he just didn't need the money and therefore he turned it down. He fought against this Klitschko guy and won and everything seemed to be great. And he was enjoying not having to go to the gym, not having to work so hard and actually just spend time with his family and his, his wife and his children. And he's currently considering the possibility that that might be his future. Never has to box again. Now, I'm slightly cynical about that and time will tell. But the Telegraph reporter did note the distinction between this man Tyson Fury and all other boxers he'd ever met. That is that money was not the driving force behind anything that he'd ever done or his future plans. He was utterly distinctive. And it made that telegraph porter actually take note of that distinction. It's a little illustration to say, I wonder how distinctive we are would a reporter interviewing us sort of mark that distinction and say, hey, look, these guys are really different in the way that they view their money and their possessions, that they don't seem to worry about those things at all. Don't be like everyone else, Jesus is saying. They don't have Christ and a heavenly Father who knows what you need. Don't be like everyone else. Be distinctive. Don't worry about the material things. So how should we live? Very practically, let's move forward as we finish uh, to how we should live then. And there's these two quick points of application as Jesus closes this uh, little section. Look at verse 33. It is probably one of the most, it's probably in the top 10 best known passages or verses in the whole of the New Testament. Look at it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. How are we to live? You know, if God is your master, not money, what will we do? What Jesus is saying, he's saying, seek. Seek first God's kingdom. Have concern for, appropriately worry about the kingdom of God rather than the earthly kingdom that you can accumulate. It is to make God's kingdom known to our friends, to tell our neighbours, our colleagues about the king of the kingdom. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ is to pursue the things already that we've prayed for. 
in those three first petitions of the Lord's Prayer back at the beginning of chapter 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It is the righteousness of life, as we've seen in each of these chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. Not a saving righteousness of justification, but a, a righteousness that is set apart. A life that is dedicated in service for the Lord Jesus. Now, despite probable persecution, as we saw back in chapter 5, verse 10. And once again, Jesus is pushing us to make a decision on the priority of our lives. Oh, you can be self-centered, earthly treasures, earthly treasures. Me, all about me, or we can be God-centered. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. We can have selfish ambition. It's all about what I can get and what I, what I can go, go and do. Or we can have ambition for God's kingdom. He's saying there's no third alternative. The question is, are you distinctive in that? Are you salty and lighty? As that's reminded us back in chapter 5. Or are you just like everyone else? What are your worries? What are your concerns? If God is your master, don't worry about the necessities of life. They will not be your concern. Because God is, is faithful in his care for our needs. And Jesus said, finishes it. It's an extraordinary verse. Look at verse 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What he's saying is that worry about tomorrow, have you ever thought about it? It makes no sense, does it? Today has enough worries of its own. Why, why are you even bothering about thinking and worrying about tomorrow? Tomorrow's misfortunes, they may never happen. Why are you worrying about them? It's a nonsensical thing to do. This is just really an appeal, as many commentators would say. It's just an appeal for common sense, Jesus is saying here, which sometimes we lack. If we're led by our animal instincts, common sense can just go out of the window often, can't it? Let me finish with this, though. I think it's really helpful. Implicitly, Jesus is teaching something that I need to know every day. That the grace and the care of God that he bestows on us every day is enough for today. For the highs and the lows of today. And the grace and the mercy and the care that he bestows on us is not for tomorrow, it is for today. If tomorrow does bring a new trouble, do you think that will be too much for God? Or has he shown himself to be faithful in all the days previous? He's faithful to his word. You'll know this verse, but it's a reminder to me every morning. I wonder whether it ought to be for us. He's a steadfast Lord, isn't he? And his love never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They don't need to worry about tomorrow because his mercy and his care and his love for us is new every morning. Why? Because great is his faithfulness. My friends, do not worry. Do not worry, Jesus says. Let's pray.
Maybe just a, a moment of quiet to consider our own hearts, our own lives. What are the things that we worry about? Do we need to ask for God's forgiveness in that? That our care, our concern ought to be on something else, that we seek first the kingdom of God.